0: Welcome to the season premiere of The Interview on the Raptors Republic Podcast Network. My name is Andrew Damlin, and we are kicking off another season of Raptors 905. Training camp is almost wrapped up. We're about to go live, as we say, and we are joined by the second-year head coach of the Raptors 905, Eric Curry. Coach, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for doing this. And what I like to do on the podcast is travel down the journey of how everybody got here. And for most people, they're hoping that it's sort of a launch pad going forward. But for you, your journey has been pretty well documented uh, over the course. You've got an incredible background, and I'd like to hopefully go over it in a, a way that you haven't gone over it before. So you grew up in Toronto. You grew up a Raptors fan. And as a G League head coach, you're now a raiser of role players. So I'm wondering, in your young fandom teenage years, when you're really starting to more appreciate the game, not just, you're going beyond the superstars, are there any role players for the Raptors that pop to mind, whether they're particularly talented or just some esoteric quality about them that you really enjoyed as a young Raptors fan?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really fun question. Uh... Man, I don't know if these guys would necessarily be qualified as role players, but uh, the era that had Antonio Davis and Alvin Williams, I loved watching those guys play. Alvin had so much wiggle to his game that it, it was so entertaining to watch, and then Antonio Davis was just like such a monster on the glass, setting screens, and he is. It felt like every time he shot that like sixteen footer, eighteen footer, it was going in no matter what. So. I always enjoyed him setting that screen, opening it up, and knocking down that, that little jumper.
0: I remember that one year they made the runs of the playoffs when Vince Carter was injured, and it was all AD, yeah. that entire run. Just a, like a personal anecdote, I was traveling through Europe trying to check the scores. <laughs> I remember that Detroit series, obviously that best-of-five series yeah. that AD was a monster in. So, yeah, no, for, for me, I think of Mo I think of Amir
1: Johnson. Oh, great name, yeah.
0: Amir Johnson, it, it seemed like he was symbolic of the, the, the leadership and everything that you could want out of not an end-of-the-bench guy, but yeah. a, a guy that um, a coach would really enjoy coaching.
1: Yeah, so I actually had overlap with Amir. So I was thinking back before I even got into basketball at all professionally. I got to work with Amir for a few years early on in my career while I was still on the front office side, and you nailed it on the head. He was unbelievable. Like His feel for the game was second to none. Uh, he was always in the right position on both ends. He was one of those guys that, and this is before analytics were even too big time, but the box score did not do justice to his impact on the game. He was way more impactful than, than any numbers could measure. Was he the last high school
0: player, one of, one of the last high school players to go direct to the, to the NBA? Yeah, he's um, got to be. No, so he was I, one of my all-time favorites. I think he like also like Matt Bonner, Keon Clark. Yeah. Joey Graham, I think, oh, yeah. for some reason, the just raw athleticism. Those yeah. are the guys that, that come to mind, um, and you know, you're so you're you're growing up as a, as a big fan, and you're not necessarily considering uh, a Raptors front office job. And we know the fortuitous way that yeah. you that you ended up wiggling in. Um, so when I when I say the name Keith Boyarski, what word association
1: yeah. comes to mind? Uh, I'd say mentor, um, Keith and then it was Alex Rucker at the time, too. The two of them were unbelievable. They took me in straight out of school, um, taught me so much about the the front office side of basketball. I I mean, to the day, I'm still learning from Keith. Day to day, we talk about anything and everything, uh, basketball or life. Uh, Such a good dude, such a great guy. So smart, obviously, but also it's not just that. He sees the big picture so well. Um, He's a great leader. His... The analytics department back in the day was me, him, and Alex Rucker. And now they've a full-on department. And he's running that show, doing a great job of getting everybody organized into what needs to get done. And, and there's so much for them to do, so much data for them to work on. So they, they have unbelievable projects in the pipeline. And it's, it's really cool to be able to check in and see what they're doing.
0: So you get in as an unpaid intern in 2012. And it seems like that wasn't the origin of your voracious appetite for learning. It seemed like you know, as we know, the experimental fluid dynamics master's degree, uh, which we won't necessarily go into, because as you might not, you might realize I'm not an expert in that field. But it seems like there's this appetite for learning that's always been there, and even now, even yesterday, talking about learning under Darko and being in on the meetings and just trying to absorb everything he was taking, he was giving you. Where do you think the origin story is of that? appetite for learning?
1: Yeah, I think even before I could describe what my values are um, and as a coach I think and really as for anybody, it's super important to know what you value curiosity has always been one of my main ones Um, I like to know how the world works, I don't know where that comes from Uh, just from a young age whether it's playing with connects to build a model or something like that or or in school, I, I was never one to just memorize what the answer was, I wanted to know exactly why it was And if it wasn't explained in a good way, I would just, I'm sure the teachers did not like me, I'd keep bugging them until I understood until I better understood. So that's I think it helps a lot in coaching to understand it that way too. And same with my my engineering background. If you can't break things down to to the basics and build them back up together, you're just memorizing things. In this situation I have to do this, the game's way too fast. There's no way to actually do that. So big believer in teaching out of principles instead of rules, and the only way to get to the principles is to really have like a, a deep understanding of it. Um, and if you can get a deep understanding personally, hopefully you can try and teach that understanding uh, through the players, through the assistant coaches all that. And then the players now have the deep understanding, and they're the ones who actually are on the court doing everything important. So it's kind of the way I see it.
0: You mentioned the teaching aspect, almost as if it's some connection from the learning to the teaching. and it's, There's something there, I assume, but But I imagine there's a huge transition trying to be the guy absorbing all the information to relaying it in a relatable way. And one of your mentors, um, Patrick Mutombo, former head coach of the 905, talked about his experiences with analytics guys before you came along wasn't necessarily the most positive. He felt that guys came along with... um, Like they knew it all. And you were able to relate the information to him in a non-projecting way that I know what's going on. It's more of a humble... Uh, way that you actually you're you're still looking for answers and you're still you're not um, you don't think you know it all Um, in terms of transitioning from front office to assistant coach you know you're Serge Ibaka's uh, main man traveling all over working out with him how did you find the transition what discoveries did you make in terms of the learning you had to
1: do and the imparting you had to do afterwards yeah um it really has to be personalized. So everybody you're working with, uh, it's got to, you have to figure out the dynamic early. Some guys are more okay with, hey, let's just go through drills. Uh, I don't need to know exactly why I'm doing this drill per se, but let's get a good sweat going and go. And some people want to know the details of exactly why are we doing every drill. Um, and, and trying to teach everybody or try to working with everybody in the exact same way is not going to work. And that's where like the relationship building comes into play. And I think that's super important. So it goes back to the the teaching side of it, the question you were asking earlier. Um, If you can break it down after you learn it into a a way where you can teach it that's understandable and clean, I think there's going to be some, I don't know, guys will pick it up and it will be be doable. If you're kind of just learned it from one place and saying, and this is how we do it, do it, it's not going to really work. So building that relationship, building that dynamic helps a bunch. My wife's a teacher, and she's a, she says differentiated instruction Perfect. is a key pillar. Hey, there uh, you go. There's a word for everything. I just didn't know what the terminology was. I love it.
0: And you know, before you, before Matumbo, there was Jamba and when he came in, the guys around him that I that I knew, anyway, that reported with him on the Raptors said, knowledge base unparalleled, communication amazing. But will he get on, guys? And the assumption is that you need to get on guys uh, at some point or another. And I think the same question, if you want to call it that, was from you. Will he get on guys? Is it necessary to get on guys? And do you find
1: that part of the the coach's um, arsenal, if you will? Uh, I don't think it's necessary. Um, There's a time and place for it, for sure. I don't think. It's unlikely you're going to go the whole season without a blow-up. It's inevitable. It happens. Uh, I just think big picture as a coach or anybody in a leadership position, you have to know what's most important to you, what you want to be firm about and what there's no budge. There's, There's a lot of gray area in life, and there's certain things for you that just have to be black and white. And when the black and white things, when somebody's pushing the boundaries on those, that's when you kind of have to hold your line and hold firm on it. But if you're going to get on guys day in, day out, you're, they're going to tune you out. So it's just just knowing all these guys are great guys. Nobody's doing anything malicious. Nobody's doing anything on purpose to, to not be. So as long as the communication's clear and you figure out where that action came from, most of the time it can be resolved by a conversation.
0: You're saying things that I heard from an interview from a different head coach that I was going to ask you about anyway. And I'm wondering if you can name this head coach. I, I, th- I thought when he was hired, that you might have had a particular interest in, in his success and you know it's another team obviously but you're not necessarily rooting you're not, but you're not rooting for a success per se but you know listen you know people around the league and this guy was saying similar things about we had these non-negotiables go- here but it's all about these connections you're building and for him he said it's about being vulnerable and you know he was a rookie head coach last year here's another clue for you And he said he wanted his players to know that there was a foundation of love, but and he knows that he's going to make mistakes, and he wants his players to know that he was going to make mistakes. And yet there were these non-negotiables we couldn't talk about. We we couldn't, you know. And he he, he said he lost track of certain things because he figured, well, listen, the defense is non-negotiable. We're not going to. So why do I have to hammer certain things home? And I just want to focus on the offense. I thought that this guy paralleled. What you were going, perhaps going through so much? Can you think of the coach that I'm thinking about? You said last year,
1: was he was a rookie. At first, I was going to guess AG, but you said last year. Oh, it's a tough one. Is it that? Uh, how many rookie head coaches were there last year? Very successful, very,
0: very successful rookie head coaching season successful. with a lot of scrutiny.
1: Joe Missoula. Joe Missoula. Let's go.
0: Division two yeah. background. Yeah. The th- third assistant behind the bench gets yeah. promoted for a reasons we don't have to get into uh, right before the season starts and is learning on the young guy too, unconventional do do you see any do you see the parallels that I'm that I'm speculating about (laughs) Uh,
1: I mean all 30 NBA head coaches have their own path kind of thing there's obviously certain ones that you could see a similar path and so yeah there's definitely elements of his story that yeah you're drawn to for sure Um, and then there's elements of other guys stories that kind of you can follow that same path too. But on the vulnerability side,
0: do you see, do you see that as something that you need to project to your players that that you're you're human to, per se, and that's another way to,
1: to to gain the trust of the players? For sure, I, I think it's important to be who you are. Um, if you try and if I tried to act like one of those super rah rah coaches who's nonstop yelling and and being very boisterous like that, I think they'd probably see through it pretty quick. Um, so. Once we talked about values earlier, you find out your values, you find out what's important to you, and you stay true to who you are. I think that's going to be probably the best way of doing it.
0: So, you have through your first year
1: as a head coach, and I always wonder just like the logistics, like
0: how it felt to get the clipboard and the, and the, uh, and the, for the first time out. Um, and I'm wondering specifically, I haven't asked the head coach this do you work on not reacting? To certain like obvious mistakes that clearly any head coach would want. Like when I see when I'm as a Raptors fan and I see us, I say us as if I'm part of the team. Of course, (laughs) Uh, when I see a player foul a three point shooter, for example, I'm free to react however I want. Do you work on not outwardly reacting to those type of things?
1: Mm, No, I don't uh, specifically work on it. I think it's different. So. I'm a big soccer fan as well. So when I watch like a Liverpool match, I'm pretty reactive. When I'm coaching in a basketball game, you're so locked into watching the 10 guys and then thinking about the subs, thinking about what play to run next, about uh, anything that's going on, who needs a shot, who needs whatever. So then you're you're focused on everything and you watch and then you see a guy follow a three-point shooter and you're almost thinking, how did that happen? Like, was is it because... Uh, we didn't navigate the screen well, and then he should have rear view contested, and he went on the wrong side, and that's why I felt. Okay, so that's what we need to communicate in the timeout, as opposed to being like, come on, man, why are you fouling the three point shooter? Like, it's not being overly reactive. Some coaches are like that. Um, I don't think it's, personally, I don't think it's beneficial in the heat of the moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and, um, you know, otherwise, you know, in, in the game, when you know, i remember jamma talking about early on he drew up a play for a side out of bounds when the timeout actually was a baseline out of bounds um is there was there any learning early learning curve in game coaching logistics that you went through during your first year
1: uh yes for sure uh i think the the first one was how short the g league timeouts are so you need to be ahead of it like Before the timeout even happens, you almost have to grab the clipboard and start drawing your play if you want to have any hope of having time with the guys. Um, And then the other one would be the substitution patterns. Um, We're always trying to, to map it out ahead of time. And I think early on, I was probably too strict following the mapped out substitution patterns. And it felt like guys could get away with things that they probably shouldn't get away with. So if they had poor shot selection, but they weren't supposed to come out for another three minutes, they might stay in. And then eventually we're like, okay, it's good to have a plan, but uh, let's, let's watch the game. And if we need to hold guys accountable for certain actions, you know, playing time is always the best barometer of accountability.
0: And You mentioned you're, you're locked in throughout, and that's why you don't necessarily react to what one play is or another. But one thing I've literally never seen a head coach react to is like a big highlight from their own team. Never have I seen that. Can you tell me... Can you think of one? Because I I, I can't.
1: Uh, That's a good question. I think I was pretty good about not reacting to him. But no head coach I've ever seen. That's a good point. Uh, I think... um, What's the common thread there? The coaching fraternity is like a bit of a tight circle. And if... If someone like dunks on someone else and you like start being boisterous and dancing about it and all that I don't think the other coach would take to it too kindly the same way if I watched another coach kind of jump up and celebrate but Without naming names there were a few G League coaches who definitely did that last year So <laughs> have you you got to lock in a little bit more across the court?
0: Yeah, I definitely need to lock in a little bit more Uh And speaking of which a couple days till we go live uh, you mentioned it last night. There seemed to be an incredible excitement, enthusiasm around the team, the personalities on the team. Justice Winslow is trying to make his way back to the NBA along with you got Javon and you got Ron Harper in his second year. What's, what's really exciting you, uh, you about tipping off on Friday night?
1: Yeah, I'm excited to see this team get out and play as a group. Uh, obviously, we had the Cleveland scrimmage, but it was a different situation to, to play an actual game. I think this group, has unbelievable versatility. Uh, we can go big. We can go small. We can focus on more of a shooting lineup, driving lineup. We can play defenses that switch one through five. We can play defenses that just blow up screens. But it's also an incredibly smart group. Uh, the collective IQ of the group and feel for the game is extremely high. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be around some really smart teams over my years. Like the, I'm not comparing it to the 2019 Raptors championship team by any stretch. Like That has like... The Kyle Lowry's, Marcus Gasol's, Fred Vlies, Pascal Siakam's, other world-like, super smart team. But by G League standards, this team's really sharp, Um, which is fun as a coach, right? So if you can get through the basics early, teaching everything and guys are able to grasp it, then you can keep adding layer on top of layer on top of layer, and it should be pretty fun.
0: Well, I'm glad you're excited. I'm super excited. And, Coach, thanks for the time, and good luck for this upcoming season. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on.